Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live, uh, episode 51. Next week is going to mark our one-year anniversary, and uh, I tell you, it's been a, an absolute blast doing these, um, having great conversations with really great people, and today is no exception. We are going to continue our conversation on the smart building, smart district, uh, smart city uh, conversation. And um, with that, what I mean by that is a smart building is obviously one structure, uh, 30 plus years ago, I actually really started following the whole idea of smart cities. Uh, Disney's Epcot and Ken Sakamura in Tokyo and in Japan, and then back to the United States with Smart House Limited and various other projects. But actually, the Realcom kind of abandoned the, the conversation on smart cities because it was too big, too unmanageable, and we really weren't seeing any success uh, at, at that scale. So now we find it interesting that this whole concept of digital districts, meaning a cluster of buildings, we've been talking about a number of them um, over the last few months. Um, and the idea is a, a consensus of vision between one, two or multiple developers uh, and a city where they say, we're gonna do a massive development and it's gonna have a vision and it's gonna have a central theme and it's gonna be 21st century ready. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. So we've got Mike Smith, long, good friend, 15 plus years. Uh, he's now CEO of Whitespace. And Chuck Neiswanger, again, 15, 20 year relationship with our community president of NiceNets Consulting. So let's bring these two guys on. And hey, gentlemen, how are you this morning? Hey, Joe. Hey. Great to see you. Um, and, and it is also, as I mentioned, uh, how far we go back, it's nice to know that there's still people fighting this battle over 15, 20, and in some cases, 25 years. And, you know, when I first started my journey, I thought, boy, you know, all this stuff makes sense. I came from Fortune 250 computing. I said, you know, apply all this technology to a building, it makes sense. But as all three of us know, the journey uh, has been a long one. Uh, I think we've gained some momentum, but it is uh, one that you need to be persistent and consistent. And both of you have done that, that I've watched your careers. So let's get right at it. Um, Mike, let's talk about uh, the project in Tampa, okay? I mean, uh, well, actually, first, give a little background on yourself, a little a quick 30-second career overview so people have some context, and then let's go right into the project. Thanks, Jim. So um, appreciate your time today. I, so my background started um, in commercial real estate with Forest City, um, which became Forest City Realty Trust, which eventually um, uh, Brookfield acquired. But I started there um, quite some time ago and was running an internal team called Building Technology Services. And we effectively were internal consultants. What year? What year? Uh, oh, oh, now you're going to make me sound old. Uh, 2002, I guess. So you were way ahead of the curve. Yes, yeah, so when we started this. And we really focused in multifamily, but we realized that technology was evolving uh, very fast. And so we created this internal group that was really responsible for understanding what it took to operate an asset from a technology perspective. I left in 2015 um, to create white space because I saw a need in the space to help other owners, other innovative architects and GCs and owners uh, help them get through uh, the, the, the murky waters of technology. And that's what white space does today. Okay. And before we go on to the project, Chuck, why don't you do a quick intro on yourself as well? Sure. Sure. Thanks again for having me here. Happy to, happy to be here. Uh, I have, I'm 21 years Air Force retired veteran. I spent a lot of time in the Air Force in technology through telecom and, and communications planning. Got into manufacturing through Mead, the paper company. Our, we had, I was in the packaging division, ran their IT group there along with another uh, senior director. 
and then uh, went to Jamestown, became their IT director for eight years. That was 2007. Okay. To Jamestown's 2008. a real estate company. Right. Jamestown real estate company. I was their, their senior IT guy there and then uh, left and, and started uh, Niceness Consulting in 2015. And uh, here I am. <laughs> Very good. All right. So great careers. Uh, you know, you got a lot of experience, a lot of credibility. So Mike, let's get right into the project. Uh, why don't we bring up the slides and you can, uh, we'll go off camera and you can just kind of walk us through the project and then Chuck's going to do the same and, and then we're going to get right into our conversation. Yeah, so so the project that that we're talking about today is is the uh, in Tampa, Florida. It's called Water Street Tampa, and it, and it's really um, a a vision of Jeff Vinnick, who owns the Tampa Bay Lightning and Cascade, which you may know is uh, run by Bill Gates, um, to create this really unique dynamic marketplace in Tampa. And they acquired, you know, fifty six acres in a downtown area um, right near the Amley Arena. And develop this, you know, project, this multi-phase project. What what makes it so unique is, and you mentioned earlier, Jim, was we talk about smart cities, but you take a take a large city and it's so many different developers and owners and operators. In this case, we had a really unique unique opportunity because it's one owner and it's one developer uh, for the entire nine million square feet and three point five billion dollar project. So it really opened the door for us to do something special in this downtown market. Um, some of the foundational things that 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 the project was hoping to achieve were uh, wellness, walkability, sustainability, um, the connectivity. Uh, not as necessarily related to technology, but I'll, we'll use that here as we as we go along. Um, and then overall technology vision, creating this frictionless environment um, in this downtown market because it does have um, the multifamily, the office, the retail and uh you know an outdoor component and it really tries to bring it all together and we're trying to do that through technology why don't we go to the next slide so you can a little visual yeah. so so just to kind of tell you where we are right now is is phase one is almost done and you can you can see that on the map um there potentially are two more phases that will come uh north of the site here but um you know we, we finished uh two Marriott hotels uh there's one addition hotel that's wrapping up now um and there's about I want to say 2,500 multifamily units and then one office building, two office buildings, actually. One was an adaptive reuse and then one is a class A office building that's, that's just being opened now. now so it's fully underway. It's actually been built. You said a couple of Marriott's. Did you require them to bring innovation into those projects? I, I'm sorry, Jim, I can barely hear you. Say, can you say that again? As far as the two Marriott hotels, did you require them to bring innovation into their projects? So Marriott has a pretty prescriptive guidelines list of a list of requirements. So we were, I think, it kind of went back the other way. Here, here's what we had to put into those buildings, um, whether it was you know Wi-Fi systems or, or uh, door locks or or DAS. Um, we, it was really prescriptive what we had to bring to those projects. Got it. Next slide, um, Ian. And I think the, the the last slide while it's loading up is just an aerial view of the of the completed uh, projects. You can you can kind of see them there, um, the ones that have been done um, with some highlights of some future projects to come. So it's exciting. It's an exciting time in Tampa to see the growth. Um, the projects, you know, I've been involved since about 2017. Uh, we we were meeting early on when it was just a bunch of empty fields. Uh, our parking lots. And, and now, it, you know, you can actually walk it and see it. And, it, and it's amazing to see the, the transformation that's happened. 
So on a project like that, obviously a lot of people, a lot of organizations, a lot of moving parts. Do you feel that you are high enough up in the process to actually influence the ultimate end result? I mean, will the, if this project feels different than others, can you say that your group was, was influential in making that happen? Yeah, yeah. We, we were involved so early on. And then as the buildings came on, we were involved in both in the vertical uh, design as well. So we were able to influence what happens under the ground. So whether it's the communication duct bank or the smart light poles, uh, as well as all the vertical assets and the technology. And that was really our goal is to create some That's type of standardization on all the systems so that we could start laying on these smarter platforms, whether it's a, uh, uh, you know, a, a software that kind of monitors and controls everything, whether it's a digital wallet that connects, you know, the, the residents and the tenants and the retail, um, we have the infrastructure and the foundation to do that, which was, which was a big hurdle to get through uh, between what's private and what's public. And that did require a lot of planning. Yep. And we're going to get to those topics in a little bit. Let's, let's let Chuck uh, take us through his project, which is not in the United States and it's in Vietnam. So if we want to bring up those slides and Chuck walk us through. Sure. And now I'm I'm taking this approach a little bit differently from from Mike. Mine mine's more of a almost like a reporter. I, I was asked to come in and provide some additional exposure to what they're doing. So so niceness does not have that kind of influence over what they're doing. They wanted me to really tell their story, and and it, it, what a great story it is too. Because you, as we saw when you first heard of it, nobody really knew this was going on. This is northeast of Hanoi. It's called Ocean Park. It's done by Vin Holmes. This was started in October of 2018 and covers uh, the unit of measure they use is 420 hectares, which is about uh, 1,038 acres. And uh, it uh, covers uh, started covering uh, premium villas and apartments. It's got schools uh, all the way from kindergarten to the university. That Venn University is in partnership with Cornell and the University of Pennsylvania. They've got a shopping mall a hospital and a Techno Park Tower, which was what my case study was on. And I posted that recently on a blog on uh, nicenets.com that people can see that and see a lot more detail. But that's what this project is. Uh, Vin Group is about a $16 billion company with lots of uh, subsidiaries. And I think similar to what Mike had said, that's kind of what has made this successful from what I have seen is that Vin Homes is the residential commercial real estate development company but VinFast, is, uh, they develop the electric vehicles. They've got VinSmart that's doing the connectivity. They've got the Vin Schools for the, and the university. They've got infrastructure. They've got a centralized command center for monitoring the uh, network and all of the cybersecurity. And it's just a, a fascinating project with the way they work together. Well, and let's talk about that. Nobody would really ever think of Vietnam as being the center of innovation. When, People ask me, Jim, around the world, where are the centers of innovation outside the U.S.? I would say Singapore, I would say Dubai, and I would say South Korea and probably parts of Europe, okay? The, the, the Scandinavian countries in Europe, based upon my experience. Where did a vision like this come from in Vietnam and then who did they help build it? Well, the Vin Group grew, uh, grew and they they are remodeling themselves or re, re getting a facelift to be a technology industry service company. And their goal is to be one of the uh, major technology companies by 2028. And in doing so, they're trying to attract, attract technology companies in this new smart building at Technopark Tower. 
Uh, so uh, I was surprised as anyone to see how far they had gone with the innovation inside the building, just thousands of sensors, video cameras, all of the components. Where's the vision coming from though? I mean, where are they, is the, is the vision coming from the US, from Europe, from Asia? Where are I think, it's, I think it's coming from Asia and I think there's a lot of influence there uh, and the government is uh, buying into it. I had a chance to talk to Peter Chun from the World Smart Cities Forum and he's, he's finding the exact same thing. They're working with the governments there in Vietnam and other countries to to bring these uh, projects to these cities and they have to be very selective about what what's already in the city uh, how much residential how much technology how much industrial be able to get the roads and grounds together and we'll talk a little bit about more of those challenges as we go on but that's i think that's where it started and the government is seeing that they want that kind of vision for their people and I think a lot of the global warming component uh, and the influence is, is 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 taking a lead role in some of this as well. All right, let's cut the commercial a little uh, sooner because when we come back, I want to talk about some features of the project and then also some of the challenges. So let's hear from one of our sponsors and get right back to that conversation. All right, uh, let's get back with Mike and Chuck and continue our conversation on digital districts. So. Uh, and even as I watch our commercials, you know, and some of the solution providers now in our industry, it's we've come a long way. Even though we're not where I think we should be, I think we are seeing some real progress. So, Mike, let's go back to you. Um, I heard you say a couple things when you're describing the project about, you know, how life will be different. I heard smart light poles. I heard, you know, digital payments. Give us the top three features um, of the project that you know, a novice person walking into this district will say, wow, this is different than anything I've ever seen. Oh, well, I think I think the first thing is um, the Wi-Fi experience that, that we've created, um, which which allows us to do a lot of different things. But but it, it's what we call a universal access network. So once you come in and authenticate, no matter where you are in the public space, no matter what building you're in, garage, you're covered and you're fully connected. Right, and it allows us to create that experience of knowing where people are, pushing information to them that might be useful, um, and then you know, with all the security features and things like that. I think that's kind of the first thing that people would actually notice that you don't see in everyday uh, smart districts like this. And, and was, that took a lot of infrastructure, the right partnerships, um, and it you know it took a few years. Is that to actually a free amenity? Will that be considered a free amenity? Uh, it would be free for guests, but uh, your your residents and your tenants, it's actually a paid service through the, for them. Um, okay. And and what we we call is kind of a take your network with you. So if you're paying for a gigabit internet and you go over to the restaurant down the street that's outdoor, uh, you're taking your private secure network with you. I think that's the first thing that you would kind of notice um, in in that environment is that, that CBRS playing into that at all? I mean, is that we we did look at that um, right now. We have the infrastructure to deploy that if we choose to do that, and we have some partners we've been talking to. Right now, we're we're kind of banking on you know Wi-Fi six, uh, the connectivity with the light poles, and, and then all the fiber that we put in the district to to continue that connectivity. So you can evolve as, as technology evolves. Yes, absolutely. And then I think okay. that the other piece is, is you'll notice, and you're seeing this more everywhere, but um, the ability to use your phone as a credential, right? So your phone can become everything and that and, and we're allowing you to do that. So if you work or, or live in the district, um, that same credential, that same phone gets you into your office as well as your, as your residential uh, place of living. So trying to consolidate and, and again, creating that frictionless environment was very important to the owners. And that's what we did through the through technology. 
Chuck, how about you? When you walk into the Vin Homes project, how, how will life be different for those? I, I think there's a, a lot of commonality between what Mike had said too. The, the, the tenant app, resident app, guest app does a lot of those things for you and provides that level of interface. But one thing that's a little bit different about Asia, I think, is that than, than here and certainly inside of Vietnam and here in Hanoi, the uh, the facial recognition component of the cameras is widely accepted. And so it's not just what's on your phone, it's what's on your face and it's what's on your car. And so the, the person driving into the parking lot immediately is recognized. It, the, the app tells them where, they, where to park. They walk into the building, the building knows who they are and they're there. They, they, I have been told they, they, have cho they can choose to opt out of that and use the use the phone app or a biometric like a like a, a fingerprint, but it will call the elevator. There's 24 high-speed elevators in that Techno Park Tower. It'll call the elevator, tell them where to go, adjust the lighting in their office, adjust the temperature in their office if they're the first ones in. Uh, it's no touch to get into the elevator, and uh, all of the appointments, the bus schedules, transportation within the city. That's where things start to expand. Now you can start to schedule. Uh, bus rides and they have specifically negotiated bus routes to stop at key places, including the front door of that Techno Park Tower and the residential areas multiple times throughout the week, multiple times throughout the weekend, so people can get in and around the uh, the entire district. So we weren't, we weren't going to get to this point yet, but I think it's a nice segue, the privacy component. So Facial recognition, Chinese, absolutely ahead on this HIC vision, AI at the device level, um, you know, big database of, of folks to, to practice with. Uh, and, and if you look at it literally, we've seen, you know, facial recognition attempted in New York City over the last three years, mild success at best, where I believe it was Alibaba's headquarters, the cafeteria, you were buying lunch with your face three years ago, okay? So the technology is way more advanced, society's acceptance. I think we're gonna to continue to get some resistance in the West uh, on that, specifically as it relates to privacy. So let's go back to Mike. Mike, how do you address the privacy issues in such a instrumented district? Well, we, well, we are not doing facial recognition uh, for, for all the reasons you just mentioned. I don't think it's as widely used as I'm sure um, you know, Chuck will mention about his projects. Uh, or project, but but we you know we took the time early on to hire a consulting firm to actually come in and help us with uh, privacy policies, uh, data governance. What data are we keeping? How are we storing it? Where are we storing it? Just to make sure that we were being very thoughtful about any kind of information that we they, we are keeping. Um, you know, you can track people all late, all day long, and it's not very intrusive. But you start putting names to it. And you start knowing who those people are, then it then it becomes a privacy issue. So we're, we're not tracking. I mean, we, we do track movement. We know where people are. We don't know who they are, uh, and that's intentional right now. We have the technology to do that, but, but that's intentional, and that will come later on. So Eric Schmidt, Google, pretty smart guy, right? The chairman. He wrote a paper about nine months ago called "The Bifurcation of Technology Globally," meaning. The world would be split in half. You would have a, an Eastern technology approach and you'd have a Western democracy approach. Do you think digital districts, I'll ask Chuck this first. Do you think digital districts, once you start you know, expanding the scope around the world, are gonna be different 
from location to location? I, I think there'll be some level of difference, but I also think even even here in the West, uh, we're we're accepting more than, more and more, sometimes more than we realize that we're accepting. So your phone, if you know, if we were to just yell "Hey Siri" or "Okay Google" really loud, a bunch of phones would probably start beeping and waiting to hear what the next thing was. But people are very comfortable now unlocking their phone, not just with their fingerprint, but with their face. And that technology is becoming very, very common. And so when that starts to grow, I think it'll be it'll just become commonplace because that's just what everybody does. Now in the in the Vietnam and China, that those has been around for a long time. The technology is very good, whether you like it or not. Uh, and it's used heavily. So it becomes one of those things that people have accepted. And, uh, it, and it's not uh, it, it's not one that is just on the we want to know who you are. It's we want to know when when things happen, when 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 weapons enter a building, when someone has fallen down and is hurt, when when there's a potential kidnapping, when there's a, a source of, an, a, of a leak in a building. We want to be able to detect those kinds of things and be able to respond to them quickly so the damage is minimized. So the applications of some of these technologies has gone far beyond just what we worry about oftentimes for facial recognition and privacy. And, and we've actually been privacy advocates because in the RealCom community, going on 15 years, if you look at some of our old writings, we kind of knew this day was coming. And I, I, as you know, all for the applications, the automation, the efficiency, the benefits, but I do think we have to be very careful to Mike's point about where that data is stored. Is it anonymized? How do we use it? Because, you know, I, I'm pretty technical, technically savvy and I'm getting pretty annoyed at Facebook ads showing up on things I didn't search for, you know, and I'm trying to figure out which microphone did it come from, my laptop or my phone. And, and I don't know, maybe people don't care, but I do. Right? Yeah. I, I, don't think, I don't think somebody has the right to follow me around all day on my laptop with cookies and other things. I think um, it's, it's, Jim, it's, it's the same question as we've had. Uh, it's convenience versus security. And where do you slide on the scale? You know, people yeah. like to have passwords used of one, two, three, four, or A, B, C, D, or no password at all. Now you've got to go through uh, two-factor authentication and and that's you know people are starting to get used to that but it it starts to make the it's that sliding scale between convenience and security yep yep totally totally yeah so we and people, are, and people are accepting it more and more i mean um you look at what everyone's posting out there the the, the uh especially the younger generation that i don't think that's not not a concern for them right so i think we're going to still it is until it is exactly right, <laughs> right. So, i always yeah. say you know it is until there's a knock at the door it's like wait a minute um so anyway I'm, i knew this was going to happen you know we could spend an hour with you guys uh 30 to 60 seconds each start with mike advice to anybody developer consultant integrator supplier working on a smart district project you've got a lot of experience now mike what's what, what's your 30 to 60 seconds of advice yeah start early um and and understand how you can connect uh things, right? In control of infrastructure, it's only going to allow you to future proof and lay additional uh, platforms on top of it. Cost is going to be a barrier, a barrier to entry, but there's there's unique business models to recoup that cost. Um, and to, to, you know, explaining that to the leadership, sometimes it can be a little difficult. But I think if you, you start early, bring the right partners in, I wouldn't get so hung up on what technology you want to deliver 
on, you know, when they're, when everything delivers, if, if I had told you what was popular in 2017, uh, it, we, we would be so out of date now in that project, uh, you'd be laughing at us right now. And so, um, making sure that infrastructure is flexible enough to put whatever the future comes, uh, into those buildings. So future proofing the technology is going to be very important. We call it lay the foundation, you know, and, and PS, the first guy who had to convince an executive board to install an elevator probably had some issues. A telecommunications infrastructure that can support a 21st century community is imperative. I mean, there's just, but there are still many, many, many projects where that is not the case. So right. Chuck, you're, yeah, you're 30 I, to 60 I'd say, seconds of wisdom. I, I, I'd say, uh, we, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but getting that cohesive balance between all the players and all the players is going to be who are who are the investors who who can who's investing in this in this uh this new opportunity and how quickly can it grow the government the regulations that are going to be part of it who are the builders who are the uh the, the private companies who are the suppliers and how can we balance this in a, such a way that this is going to be uh, wildly successful for anyone who lives there and people will want to come. The tenants want to be there because of all of the different components, because of how efficient it is, because of how it well it uses the resources. Uh, if you want to talk about the, uh, the, uh, the saving the planet component of it, there's all those things that are going to be, you've got to be a diplomat and balance those together. All right, um, guys, I can't thank you enough. Um, really appreciate your willingness to sit and talk about these projects. They're groundbreaking. We're going to stay in touch and, and obviously uh, continue the conversations over the next year or so as these projects evolve. And uh, again, thank you for taking the time and for your commitment to this uh, journey. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Good, thank good you. to talk to you, Jim. See you, Mike. Same here. Be well. Hi, Chuck. All right. With that, let's bring on Howard Berger, who's going to bring us up to speed on what the heck is going on in real estate technology this week. Always got uh, some top stories for us and uh gives us insight uh, pretty fun conversation those guys oh that's a great conversation guys. great projects so good having uh mike and chuck on here with us today um share their wisdom right, let me get out of here so you can do the news yeah so thanks jim um so every week we highlight a couple of stories from our weekly news briefing uh we release it every thursday morning uh pacific time and this week's lead story it comes from aaron alcher he's the director of cre technology initiatives for car properties so in this article, uh, Aaron draws a whimsical analogy between architecting a data and AI strategy to assembling a symphonic orchestra. So first, you need to get the right instruments like smart devices and computers that can deftly extract the information you need, then apply analytics, and then apply the right automation tools to massage the data. Uh, then with a lot of practice, scales and arpeggios, you get the value from the data and the music is then perfected. And then once tuned and finally honed, you can take data from numerous sources, IOT, external public and private data sets, IAQ sensors, then apply AI and machine learning to better understand everything from customer sentiment to lease renewal rates, as well as new potential areas for increased revenues and cost reductions. This is a great article. Thank you, Aaron, bravo. Uh, next, a shout out to one of the, uh, this week's tech partners, City Zenith. So 10,000 new smart cities projected by 2050. Construction costs are rising. Supply chains are totally inefficient. Architects, engineers, and contractors, they need better integrated data platforms to develop more efficiently and reduce carbon emissions. So according to ABI research, 
Digital twins are forecast to save city planners upwards of 280 billion by 2030. I don't know how they get these numbers, but it's amazing. Uh, city Zenith has developed what they call an urban digital twin platform called Smart World OS to help manage construction and post-construction processes and then monitor building operations and help environmental objectives. So thank you, City Zenith, for that article. Also, second tech partner, Locati, uh, shout out. Uh, they did an article on who's focusing on taking a flexible approach to workplace design in order to help lure back workers to the office. So it's a tall order competing for the home, you know, with the home office. So corporate offices, uh, so corporate, corporate office space, excuse me, has to be more people centric than ever before. Founded in 2015, Locati uses historic and real-time data to help clients create that right size people centric space that really helps employees feel engaged while achieving productivity. So it's easy to get overwhelmed now having to juggle safety regulations, social distancing, transient workforces, along with the confusion of figuring out which of the exploding number of prop tech tools are worth looking at, no less adopting. But it's a given now that digital tools are absolutely necessary to enable operators better understand their employees and tenants and Locati offers a substantial solution. Finally, a little industry news, uh, cyber undoubtedly one of the biggest challenges to our industry. 5Q and Tempered Networks have collaborated to bring 5Q's managed security strategy to clients with the ZETA, Z-E-T-A, which is an acronym for Zero Trust Architecture. And this protects operational technologies and buildings by securing the perimeter, monitoring and detecting and actively responding and reporting. And they use Tempered Networks Airwall platform to provide that network segmentation. So thanks to 5Q and Tempered for some new tools to fight the battle. Uh, unfortunately, I am out of time, but there's a lot more in our weekly briefing. So check it out and I'll see you all next week. All right, Howard, great job as always. Um, it's really interesting to see the movement of, uh, of a new generation of, of companies in our industry, right? And the impacts that they're making. And every week as we go through the news stories, we're seeing relationships being established uh, that are really uh, have the potential yeah. of changing things in a big way. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And I will see you next week on our uh, one year anniversary. All right. So before I wrap the show and talk about next week, let's hear from our final sponsor and I will be right back. All right. Um, first of all, thank you to all of our guests, our sponsors, our team for putting on another great episode. And uh, before I talk about next week's show, I, I just want to throw out an idea to our audience. Uh, in, in some planning calls, we've been, you know, talking about how do we change up the the, um, uh, the uh, dialogue and the conversation a little bit. And a, a really kind of funny idea came up about doing a 30, 60, maybe 90 second segment every week on the world's dumbest buildings. Uh, not just talking about what's coming forward, but really starting to bring point to uh, some really dumb things going on. And we, of course, wouldn't mention any names or any buildings specifically, but point out. So if any of you out there uh, are interested in, in let's just get the conversation started, send us some videos uh, of what you think are just ridiculously dumb things that happen inside buildings where technology could be um, a helping hand. And uh, let's see what we get. And if we do, we maybe, you know, try it once in a while, maybe we turn it into a regular segment. So anyway, uh, next week, a great conversation. We're going to be talking about the Intelligent Bootcamp coming up at Real Common IvyCon, something where many, many, many uh, people who are now doing extraordinary things started with really dumb, not a, I'm not saying that in a bad way, simple, basic questions about where do you start? 
And in our world, there is no dumb question. The, the dumbest question are, is the ones that don't get asked. So we're going to have Tom Shercliffe from, Intelli from Intelligent Buildings, who's been uh, inter uh, responsible for that event for a number of years. Lachlan McQuarrie from Epic Investments, uh, who I believe when he was at Oxford attended that meeting. And also Steve Lef Lefkowitz from Warner Media. Uh, you know, that small company with that big building in New York. Steve was once uh, a participant in the, in the Smart Building Bootcamp. Uh, so with that, uh, looking forward to next week and a great conversation with those three uh, wonderful uh, guys and, and all the hard work they've done. And so with that, I'd like to say thank you. All of you have a great week and we'll see you next week on Real Life. Be well.